Hello, welcome back to the Home Bible Study Podcast. I uh, hope everybody's doing well and that uh, you're enjoying the full blessings of knowing who the Lord Jesus is and what he's done and what he is doing in your life. If you do not know him that way, I pray that maybe through these studies you will come to a knowledge of him in such a way that will allow you and afford you to enjoy those blessings. So we're going to do a little uh, review here because we last time um, I deviated a little bit from Hebrews. We've been studying the letter to the Hebrews and we're currently in chapter six. And um, the last lesson I kind of deviated and went over to first Peter chapter two verses five and six where it talks about the priesthood of believers. And I did that because I wanted us to get a context as we move closer into the study of Melchizedek and who he is and what he accomplished and the significance of Melchizedek. He was mentioned back in uh, chapter 5, verse 10, uh, that the Lord Jesus was called of God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So um, I think it's important to understand and do a little study in uh, the the priesthood of believers to really get an understanding of the significance of, of who Melchizedek is and what he accomplished for us and why the Lord Jesus is associated with his priesthood ministry as opposed to the Aaronic priesthood. But now we're going to you know switch back over to Hebrews and the last time in Hebrews we left off in chapter 6 verse 8. And there's a very stern warning against just being lazy and just kind of half doing things as it's associated with God and um, his word. And there's a definite um, warning there and a peril, a danger uh, in doing that. Uh, There are people who just kind of want to be around spiritual things and they don't really, uh, they wouldn't have an understanding, a general knowledge. But that general knowledge and understanding is not what's going to keep you. Um, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus is a very personal and intimate knowledge that um, calls you, where he calls you to himself in such a way that um, is very personal and, and powerful. Um, there's nothing casual about the Lord Jesus or God and there's nothing casual about a relationship with him and the the danger of that is that uh, you could um, wind up um, walking around thinking that hey I'm okay I'm 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 safe when really you're not and I think that was a warning that was being given but we're going to see a stark contrast to that warning now as we enter in chapter 6 verse 9 Um, We're going to see that the writer of the letter to the Hebrews definitely understood that there was a danger uh, of those people who were who would uh, not take the warning and the word of God seriously. There's a danger of that. Uh, But he makes an evaluation of the people that are receiving this letter and he has words of encouragement because that could be very discouraging. They're going through a really hard time and you may be going through a very hard time. You may be facing some very difficult things right now and you may be questioning, well, does God love me? And uh, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Um, you know, that's what happens when we are faced with difficult trials. They they test our metal and that metal gets put under the fire and we need that because it makes us, it proves who we are and it tests our relationship and makes our relationship stronger. So uh, now we come to, first we had the warning and now we come to encouragement. Now it's kind of, this part is kind of uh, special to me because uh, I have one of the gifts of the spirit that I have is exhortation. And I truly believe that you receive the gifts that you need the most. And so I need to be encouraged. I need exhortation. And here we see a beautiful exhortation from the writer to the people. 
and um, it, it's so full of um, value and wealth and and I just pray that the Lord has uh, gives me the ability to point out some of those things in the proper way and do him and his word justice. So starting here in Hebrews chapter six, verse nine, I'm going to read it. He says, but that's the contrast word. OK, from all the warnings that he gave prior in starting in verse six, we have a but. And that little word means so much. It's so encouraging to see the transition from the danger that could be there. And now he's going to give us the encouragement to go along with that warning. And he says, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we, the, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do, do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto his heirs a promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who had fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of our soul, both sure and steadfast, and which endureth into that within the veil, whether the former is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So there we go again, that Melchizedek pops up again. So it's important that we keep in mind the significance of Melchizedek. But let's look at this in detail. So let's look at it verse by verse and see what's actually being said here. Because there's some pretty awesome principles that are being uh, presented to us. Uh, not for the first time in scripture, but definitely in a very unique way in the context of the turmoil and the trial and the um, just the, the difficult things that were going on with the Hebrew believers. Now, don't forget that we're still talking about um, this heavenly calling, right? That's the, that's the, that's the big picture is, hey, we now have a heavenly calling. We no longer have an earthly ministry. We no longer have an earthly priesthood. We no longer have an earthly representation. Now we have moved to a heavenly calling. So all of our blessings are in heaven now. And we have direct access to those blessings through what was accomplished by the Lord Jesus. So that's the great encouragement. That we've moving away from the earthly things, the things that are a picture of what's in heaven. And now we're able to embrace those things which are in heaven, right? So that's what he means here in verse 9 in chapter 6 when he says, But beloved, well, what does beloved mean? That means you're loved. Beloved by who? Well, definitely by the writer. He definitely loves him because he took the time to write this and put all this effort into ministering to them, uh, but that's not, and they also should love one another. That's what we're told. Believers should love one another. That's a sign, uh, one of the spiritual, um, the fruit of the spirit is love. But here I think beloved predominantly speaks of that Jesus loves them. And that's something that we all need to hear. You know, we need to be reminded that Jesus loves us. And uh, there's a lot of things in this world that will uh, try to throw at us some version of love. Oh, you know, people say, oh, I love you and this, that and the other. But we need to understand that there's no greater quality 
of love, there's no greater love that we can experience than to be loved by an eternal God. And we need to understand and meditate on that love more often. But that's what we are. We're beloved of God. And that's why he says we are persuaded. You know, I am sure of better things of you. So he's saying that, you know, you're, you're going to you're not going to be lazy. You're not going to um, quench the spirit. You're going to do those things associated with growing in grace. You're not going to um, remain immature and just uh, concentrate on the 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 milk that babes drink. You're going to move on to weightier things because we need to. We have to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord. It's so important for us so that we can be able to represent him so that we can live the best life that we could possibly live. It's associated with our growth. And it may not feel good. It may not look good. It may not smell good. But it's good for us. And we have to be courageous and trust the Lord and move forward. It's just that simple. So these are these are the better things that he's persuaded of uh, for these people and for us. We have to move on to better things. Things that accompany salvation, um, though we thus speak. So that's what he's saying. These things are associated with being in Christ. Okay? We need to move on and we need to be looking um, to heaven. That's where our citizenship is. There's an old saying uh, that people are so heavenly minded that there are no earthly good. Well, that's not really accurate because that's where all of our hope is, is in heaven. And if we keep our eyes on what's before us, like Paul said, the prize of the high calling, if we keep our eyes on that, we're going to behave and carry ourselves in such a way on earth to where we'll be able to have treasure stored up in heaven. So there's a definite link between our heavenly calling and what we do here on earth, right? Because if you're conscious of the fact that this is only temporary, that your real reward, your life, your existence is in eternity with the Lord Jesus, then you're not going to place so much value on the things of this world that they take you away from uh, the promises of God. So it's very important that we understand that, um, you know, we have this heavenly calling, you know, it's there for us and we should be pursuing the things that are pleasing to the Lord Jesus and serving him in such a way to store up treasure in heaven. Uh, that's a that's a godly thing to do. In verse 10, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. Here we go. This is establishing what I just said, that the work we do here on earth is out of love. It's a response to what the Lord Jesus has accomplished for us in heaven. This calling that we have, it should inspire us to want to do the work, to do the labor of serving him and to pursue maturity, to pursue the proclamation of his word and the, um, you know, the sharing of the gospel and the living our lives in such a way that are, it's a testimony to who he is and what he's accomplished in us. That's, and it says here, he's not unrighteous to forget that. He's very aware of that. And he has a and he knows that it's a labor of love. You know, we're not doing this because um, we think it's going to earn us some favor with God. OK, we don't serve him because it's like, oh, well, that'll make put us in a better position with him. No, we do it as a response to the love that he's already shown us. Right. He's already demonstrated his love and that he sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to redeem us. And now we want to be able to give something to him. And that's this work, the work 
that's of, with the things that are that accompany salvation. It's the labor of love. That's what that is. Um, it says, which ye have shown toward his name. So these believers have already manifested these things. He said, I've seen these things. You've shown this already toward his name in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. So here we see a very important aspect of what we're to be doing here. We are to minister to one another. Now that could come in a lot of different forms. Sometimes it's a word of encouragement. Sometimes it's to do physical ministry where you actually help someone. Uh, you know, you you provide them with material uh, blessing. You know, you say, "Hey, here, I have. You need this, and I have it. I'll give it to you." Sometimes it's a a strong back. Sometimes it's a monetary gift. Uh, sometimes it's just company and being there and being someone that can listen and hear and hold a hand and uh, encourage. So there's a lot of ways that we minister. And when I covered uh, the lesson in Second Peter, there was several things that we touched on that are associated with our ministry. Um, you know, the giving of thanks, praying for others and for ourselves. Um, there's several things that we do while we're here that are we do out of the out of love for the Lord Jesus. And it says that he's not uh, unrighteous to forget that he's definitely not going to forget it. Uh, he it brings him joy uh, to see us ministering to one another. So that's what we should be doing. In verse 11, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. So this he's saying, hey, we want that for you. We want everybody to be manifesting this love and ministering to one another. And he said to do it diligently, right? Uh, be, be careful to do it in a way that to where it marks your life. It's a when people see you, they associate that ministry with you. And, you know, it's not something you should hit in, in, hit people over the head with or, you know, carry your Bible and go, hey, let me show you this verse. It should be something that comes from love, a place of love. And it should come uh, from the spirit. And uh, as long as you're walking in the spirit, you're not quenching the spirit. This is going to flow from you like water. It won't be anything that you have to. Uh, force. It'll just flow out of you. And that's the Spirit. That's God, the Holy Spirit, ministering through you. And so this is what we should be diligently doing. And it says, to the full assurance of hope. So what does that mean? Well, that is what inspires us or encourages us to do these things because we have assurance. We know that our citizenship is in heaven that the Lord Jesus is with us and that we have a sure hope that we know where we're going. It's not like, oh, I think I'm going to be in heaven. I think I'm going to go there. No, I know I have the full assurance through faith that that is where I'm going. And so in order to make sure that I have uh, works that are pleasing to him, to the Lord Jesus, I am going to do these things in full assurance of this hope. It gives us the strength and the encouragement to, to minister in spite of everything. And it says the full assurance of hope unto the end. Well, what is the end? What's well, the end of your life? Because our lives have an end and we have to keep that in mind. Everybody wants to talk about, you know, what they want to do in their life. And nobody talks about what it's going to be like at the, when their life ends, because we don't want to think about that. But we need to think about that because our lives are temporary here on earth. I mean, if you live to be 80 right now, then you're doing pretty good. So that's not very long. I mean, I, I'm not too far away from that point. And I seem to have gotten here in the blink of an eye. So um, my point being is that we need this full assurance of hope and we need to be consistent and diligent unto the end. That needs to be the pattern of our lives. And the rewards associated with that are beyond our ability to fathom. So I can't explain to you the rewards. Uh, the word of God reveals these rewards, but it's 
in such a way that it's really mind-blowing. The inspiration should not be so much the reward, but the fact that we're pleasing the Lord Jesus uh, because of all that he's done for us. It's done in love. That's the, It's a labor of love. That is the key part of this verse. Understand that your labor should be done in love. Love is the key, and it's the, the love that he's given us, that he loved us with before we loved him. So it's a gift, and we need to walk in that gift and manifest love through God the Holy Spirit. In verse 12, that ye be not slothful. So that's what the warnings were about in um, the beginning of this chapter 6. You know, so you need to do this unto the end, that ye be not slothful. You know, don't be lazy in ministering. You know, oh yeah, you know, I, I wanted to, to help that person, or I thought about doing this or that to... But I never did it, never got around to it. You know, we, we have to be careful because it's easy to get distracted by the things of the world and in our lives to where we can get to the point to where we don't pay attention to the things of God as we should. That should be, he said, seek me first and everything else will be added to you. But we like to seek everything else. And then we want him to add things to us associated with spiritual things. That's backwards. First, we seek the Lord Jesus. First, we speak, seek God and he will lead and guide us through life in such a way that he'll add what we need. But we have to seek him. We have to seek his light, his guidance so that we are not slothful. He says that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, this is a very important verse because this is almost a precursor to the chapter uh, here in Hebrews that talks about those who uh, through faith receive the promises. So this is the first mention of that. So it says uh, we should follow after them. And we have a lot of people that have gone before us to witness, uh, to be an example of God's grace, how that he accomplished so much in their lives. And it wasn't because they were different from us or better or anything. It's just that they, you know, pursued uh, him. They were faithful and they trusted him. And through that faith um, and their patience, they inherited the promises. And we have so many promises that we've been given. And we need to take hold of these promises. And we need to stand on them and allow them to be our framework so that we can move through life in such a way that we're we're we have armor around us the promises of god are like armor they're like the armor that protects us and keeps us and there's a definite link between god's promises faith and the armor that that he's given us and we need to see that link and we need to move with diligence and an assurance full of trust and faith. And God will reward that. He will honor that. So um, we do have things. We do have a responsibility. We have promises that we can't inherit. Now, obviously, that speaks really strongly to Hebrews, right? To the Hebrew believers, because they are the ones that first received the promises through Abraham. So that's a very significant verse to a Hebrew believer because they were the ones to receive the oracles of God and his promises. But we also have promises. We have the promise of being partakers in the heavenly calling. You know, we have all the promises associated with the high priestly ministry of the Lord Jesus. He has afforded us access to heaven in such a way that has never existed before. There's no temple. There's no tabernacle for us to go to. We don't have to go to priests and uh, offer a sacrifice. It's all been done for us. And we have direct access to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, yeah, we have promises. We have our own promises that we uh, can hold on to. And in verse th 13, For when God made promise to Abraham... Because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. 
So this is this is one of those promises that we can we can hold on to. And the promises are linked directly to the character and the person of God. Keep that in mind. Our faith is in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything that we believe and hold on to is tied to him directly. And his power, his presence, what he's able to do, all of that is tied to a person, right? And so um, there's kind of an inference to, to that made with Abraham. Everything that Abraham believed was tied to God, to the promise that God made him. Um, everything that dictated his actions was tied to that promise that God made to him. And now we have the fulfillment of that promise in the Lord Jesus. So we have better things. But here the writer is looking back to make us to see that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He hasn't changed, right? It's the same God, the same promises. And they're, they're, our faith is the exact same faith. Even though it's in a different um, dispensation and we have a fuller Understanding and access is the same principle. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. Well, he did that. We have plenty of evidence that that happened. Everything that God promised to Abraham has come to fruition. The only thing uh, that we're waiting on is uh, the millennial kingdom blessing okay the land they received it the seed well jesus came from the loins of abraham you know the savior came from the jews and now they have one thing ahead of them that needs to be fulfilled and that's going to be the blessing of the millennial kingdom and that's coming it's all sure and it's all tied into what God has accomplished. And he says, saying, surely blessing, I will bless thee and multiplying, I will multiply thee. So it's, it's done. You know, God doesn't have to tell us that for sure this is going to happen. He can just say it's going to happen, but to give extra comfort, you know, he adds this extra surely, like this is a sure thing. And we need that sometimes. God doesn't need it. You know, he doesn't need to reiterate his truth. His truth is settled in heaven, but we need it because we were human and we have an old nature and we, our legs get weak and we start shaking and we get nervous and we look at our situation and the things that are surrounding us and it can be very scary, but we don't have to be afraid because we have the whole armor of God. And that armor is, the power of that armor is in Jesus Christ himself. So it's very powerful. Okay, very powerful. So the promises of God are sure. And uh, verse 15, And so after he had patiently endured, the, we're talking about Abraham, he obtained the promise. Abraham obtained the promises. Well, one of the promises was he wanted an heir. He's like, you know, I'm old and Sarah's old and I want an heir. And they try to do it their own way. And we know what happened there. We have the Ishmael. And we know the story of Ishmael. I mean, we see that story played out today in the Arab nation. And there's a, a, a continuous unrest over there between Arabs and the Jews. And it's not going to stop until the Lord Jesus stops it. And it's all from um, Ishmael and Hagar. But uh, in spite of um, that, uh, Abraham did receive the promises. Isaac was born. And from Isaac, we have the Lord Jesus. We can see a direct line to the Lord Jesus. So if we just trust the Lord, if we just trust his word and uh, put our faith in him and who he is and we're patient which fruit of the spirit is patience and we endure 
that's fruit of the spirit, that's endurance, we will obtain the promises. That's the message that this writer is giving. He's saying, look, we have this. It's ours. Okay? It's ours. Nothing's going to change what God has given us. It's waiting for us. It's, it's as sure as he is. Okay? So, just keep your eyes on him. And walk in the spirit. Put on the whole armor of God. Do the labor, the work of love. Let that be what guides you and what uh, feeds your soul. You know, have a steady diet of the word of God to empower you and strengthen you. And know that you have this sure thing, these sure promises that are waiting for you, this heavenly calling. And that the things that he has for us are beyond our understanding. It's not that we can't understand them. We can, and we can meditate upon them, and he'll reveal all this to you if you want to know it. It's there. It's here in his word, okay? But there's only so much our minds can truly um, comprehend, so we need God the Holy Spirit to expand us, and that's why we have to grow so that we can expand and take in more of who and what God is and what he's accomplished for us. And the more we take in, the stronger we become. The more, the less important the things of this world become. And the more important our heavenly calling becomes to us. And that's what's, that's what we can obtain like Abraham did who patiently endured and obtained the promise. In verse 16, uh, he uses this example. Men surely swear by a greater, an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. So he's saying, now everybody knows that if you give your oath that something's going to happen, if you sign a document that says, I'm going to pay, if you get a loan that says, I'm going to pay this loan back, uh, over X amount of time, paying this much every month, whatever. That's the end of it. Nobody even worries about it. It's like, okay, he signed the papers. There's, that's the end of strife, right? That's your oath that you're going to do it. All right? So that's the, that's the point. He's saying, for men swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Now, in verse 17, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. So here's a really important promise that we need to hold on to. That God wanted to, willing to more abundantly show unto the heirs of promise. So he wanted them to see that the surety of this. He wanted to add something extra to the promise. Not for his sake, but for the sake of the heirs of promise. Because you know, we're weak. We're very mutable. We, we get thrown about by any little thing that comes along can upset us. Well, God is not that way. And so he's using that principle of his immutability, which means that that's one of his um, attributes that he does not change. He cannot change. He will not change. He is unchangeable. And he says, to show unto the heirs of promise the, immut the immutability of his counsel, of his word, he confirmed it with an oath. So he not only gave his, spoke it into existence, but he also backed it up with, this is going to happen. It says in verse 18, that by two immutable things, two things that cannot change, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who had fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. So see, this was all done for our benefit. Two immutable things. One, God, it's impossible for God to lie. That'll never change. And he himself is immutable. So that's two immutable things that we might have a strong consolation. We might be consoled when things are rough and things are happening that are hard and difficult. When we're on rough seas, that we'll be consoled that, hey, it's going to be okay. 
because we can rest on the fact that God is unchanging. Though my situation might be changing, my situation might be very fluid from my perspective, my God does not change and his promises are going to be there. So I need to look at my life in light of those promises. Okay, and that is what's going to give me a consolation and allow me to weather the storm. And it says um, that we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. So you see this heavenly calling that we have that's been promised to us, that's been earned and sealed for us by the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, that is a refuge. That's a place that we can go in time of trouble and we can know that, hey, we're safe. We can go to that place so that we're not, you know, upset by the changing things that come in life. We have a constant refuge, a place that we can go, and that's to the Lord Jesus. And it's all tied to the hope that's set before us. So that's why we need to keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus. We need to look to that hope. We need to hold on to his immutability so that we have a solid place to, to be in times of trouble. Uh, verse 19, it says, which hope we have as an anchor. So there you go. There's that solid place. It's an anchor of our soul. It keeps our soul um, steady. When everything else around us is going nuts, we have this anchor for our soul. Everybody's like, you know, they're going crazy. Like, why are you not freaking out right now? Well, because I have an anchor of my soul. Because I know the Lord is going to take care of me and he's going to lead me through this. Well, what if you die? Well, okay. It's all right. Because I have this, I'm a partaker of a heavenly calling. And I have this sure hope the, that I'm going to be with him. So if I die, then that's, hey, I, that's actually game for me. You know, I'm, I get to be with him from that point on. If I live through this, then I get to be a witness in the testimony of his grace. It's a win-win for us. And it's all tied to his immutability and his promise. It's all tied to the Lord Jesus and what he's accomplished. Like you should be praising the Lord right now. This is so amazing, you know? So um, that's what we have. We have this anchor of our soul. It's both sure and steadfast and which entereth into that, within the veil. So uh, a, a good example of what I'm talking about here, before I start talking about this, where we enter into the veil, this anchor, uh, if you ever study the book of Jonah, well, Jonah decided he didn't want to obey God and he was going to do something uh, that God didn't want him to do. God told him to go to Nineveh and he got on a ship going the opposite direction to Tarshish because he didn't want to go to Nineveh. And just so happens on that ship to uh, Tarshish, they came across some rough sea and it was bad. I mean, everybody on that ship was panicking because uh, they all thought, well, we're going to die. I mean, it was a terrible storm. The ship wasn't holding up well. They were throwing stuff off the ship because they're like, we got to, you know, throw this stuff off of here so we can live, you know. We got to do everything we can do to make this ship to be able to make it through this storm. And they were freaking out. Everybody but, but Jonah. You know, they're like, Jonah, what are you doing? Everybody else is freaking out and they're calling on their gods to try to save us. And you, you, you're not doing any of that. Well, that's because Jonah had this anchor to his soul. He knew that God caused that storm. He knew that all of that was a result of his own uh, rebellion. Well, how did he know that? Well, he knew it because he knew God. And he knew that he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. He said, he told him, he says, yeah, all this is happening because of me. They're like, are you, are you serious? He's like, yeah. 
He says, if you throw me off the ship, everybody will be fine. This is all because of me. So that's the kind of anchor that we have is that he knew that he wasn't going to die. He wasn't worried about death, put it that way. It's not that he knew he wasn't going to die. He wasn't worried about dying because he walked that closely with God. But he also knew that all those storms that came were a result of his disobedience. And they threw him overboard. And guess what? The seas calmed. And he was immediately swallowed by this large sea creature. So that's a whole nother story. And Jonah learned a valuable lesson. But my point being is that we have peace that comes from knowing God's will. And we can see in the turmoil, what his will is, where other people cannot. And that's a powerful witness. Those men that he witnessed to on that ship, they started worshiping God. They they put away their pagan, um, uh, you know, polytheistic pagan worship, and they started worshiping the true and living God because of the witness and the testimony that was had by Jonah. Even in our disobedience, we have an opportunity to witness. And that's what happened. And these men saw that. They saw the evidence of the true and living God in what Jonah told them. And so we have that kind of powerful witness and testimony. And we need to keep our eyes on the Lord and hold on to that anchor And just watch and see how God uses us in the lives of people. Um, Don't be like Jonah. If God tells you to go do something, go do it. Don't be like Jonah. He eventually learned that lesson, but he learned it the hardest way you can learn it. So back to um, Hebrews here. So we have that. We have this um, refuge, this place that we can go. We have this hope that's an anchor for our soul. Um, And it says both sure and steadfast, meaning it's sure we can count on it and it's consistent and which entereth into that within the veil. So that's it's important that we see what this means This this veil. Why did why why are we talking about the veil now? Where did the veil come from? Well, the veil was that in the tabernacle in the temple, there was the holy place and there was the holy of holies and they were divided by a veil. Right. And you can only go in there once a year. And it it has to be by the high priest who was chosen beforehand to go in and represent all the people. Well, all of that is a picture of the holiness and the separation between God and man. Right. Because of our sin, we can never enter into a personal, intimate relationship. We have to stay outside the veil. And everything that's personal and intimate and beautiful about God and his mercy is inside the veil. Well, how do we get there? The ironic priesthood couldn't get us there. Once a year, somebody could go in. And even then, they didn't know if he was going to go in there and come out. So they had to tie a rope around his leg and little bells so they can hear him moving around. Because there's always this question, I don't know, maybe he'll... God will forgive us. Maybe he won't. But we have better things. We have the Lord Jesus who has entered in and he has taken away that veil. Uh, one of the things, the mir- one of the miracles that are listed that happened when he died upon the cross was that the in the temple, that veil was torn from the uh, bottom up. Right. So it was torn into uh, and because the way was made, he made a way to to where he ended that separation. And so now we have this opportunity for a level of intimacy with the Lord Jesus, with God that we've never had before. And it's all linked to his promises, to his immutability. And so now we have this intimacy, we have this access to be able to go before him at any time 
with anything we need, day or night. You wake up in the middle of the night, he's there. You know, doesn't matter. I may not be there. You may not be able to call me. You may not be able to call your mom or dad, but Jesus is always there. He's with you at all times for those of us who are saved. In verse 20, it says, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus. So it's saying of this veil, he's a forerunner. He's the one who's taken away that veil, gone into the Holy of Holies and made a place for us. That's what he said. He says, I, I have to go so I can make a place for you. That's where I'm going, but I'm going to leave you God, the Holy Spirit. But where I go, there's, I'm making a place for you. And that's part of what his ministry was here is that he has gone. He's taken away the barrier of sin that keeps us from uh, that level of intimacy with God and entering into the Holy of Holies, even heaven itself, throne room of God. Now we can go there because of our forerunner, the one, the firstborn of many brethren. He is our forerunner, the one who's took upon flesh and became uh, and like like a man so that men can have access to heaven. There's so much tied up into this word forerunner. He's done so much on our behalf. So he's gone and entered in for us so that we can enjoy this heavenly calling. Okay, so that we can be partakers of this heavenly calling. He has made a way for that. It says, even Jesus. And again, they use the word Jesus, not the Lord Jesus Christ, because these people, many of these people knew him. And they needed to understand that this Jesus, who is and who was the Jesus that they interacted with, who is the Jesus that's in heaven, the same person. And many of them were able to have a, they knew him, even if it was in a casual way. They knew, they heard him speak. They heard him teach. They saw him feed multitudes of people and perform miracle after miracle after miracle. And they need to understand that, yes, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's Jesus, the man who was like us, who made himself like us. Um, and that speaks of an intimacy, a casual, a relationship of, uh, of closeness, you know, uh, we need to understand that all of that's been afforded to us by him and says he was made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So again, we go back to Melchizedek. Jesus was made a high priest forever. And now we are entered into that priestly, um, ministry. We have access to God access to the Holy of Holies, and we are, in essence, representatives of him and his word. Each and every one of us who are saved, it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, your gender, none of that matters. If he has called you to service, you are a priest. You are part of this royal priesthood because he is a not only a, a priest, but a king. Melchizedek is the first and only one who held the uh, title of priest and king. And here we see that the Lord Jesus is in that order. And so that means that we are now a royal priesthood and we will rule alongside of him in this priestly role. And it's eternal. We're eternally priests. So we need to be busy doing the work a priest now because that's what we're going to be doing for eternity for sure and it's all in worship and bring to bring glory and honor to his name so we'll pick up in chapter seven next time when we'll learn more about mckizzledeck and what he the significance of his ministry and his relationship to the lord jesus i uh, hope you'll be praying for me as i continue to study uh, it's a challenging part of Hebrews, probably to me one of the most challenging parts, but I'm excited about it. I look forward to it and um, uh, just covet your prayers on my behalf. 
So here we see in the lesson that we, today that we have these sure blessings associated with the work of the Lord Jesus. And I pray that you're able to see how that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He is immutable. And his immutability is uh, one of our greatest benefits because his grace is unchanging. That's how we have an eternal salvation because he's eternal. And our, we don't have to worry about, you know, one day this might change and he might change his mind and say, no, nah, I'm done with you. It's not going to happen. There's nothing you could do or anything in the world that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And I don't know where you are or what you're dealing with right now, but just know that there's nothing you can do that'll make him stop loving you. His love is eternal and it's forever and it won't change. Yes, you can change and you can do stupid things. I can do dumb things. We do. But he knows that and his love is greater than us. Right. And his and we should all be rejoicing and praising him for his love. Let's close. Father, thank you for your grace and for your word and for the encouragement that is in your word. Thank you for this anchor for our soul that we need so desperately as we see this world winding in crazy patterns that make no sense to us. But we know we have you, the consistency of your love, of your grace and uh, the hope of this heavenly calling. Uh, it's something, Father, I pray that you would instill in each of those who are going through this lesson with us and all your people, that we would be encouraged and uh, to serve you in such a way that we would be able to have our rewards in heaven, that we would know that we pleased you in the life that we live here. We pray, Father, you would accomplish that in us because only you can. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.